This is HeartWise, offering practical tips and time-proven guidelines to make your life healthier, happier, and more fulfilling. Today you'll learn simple Bible-based principles for building and maintaining optimum mental and physical health, all while deepening your relationship with your Creator. I'm your HeartWise host, Charles Mills. We have met the enemy, and it is food. For some people, this is a true statement. What they place in their stomachs is far from healthy. And the results of their choices can bring about very, very serious consequences. And how they fight their way back to health is the topic of our show today. Our guest has made a career out of helping people win their own personal food fights. Melanie Rogers is a certified eating disorder registered dietitian and founder director of Balance, a treatment center for those with food issues. The center is located in New York City. She has been a guest on this show before. Melanie, welcome back to HeartWise. Thank you so much, Charles. Great to be here. Now, I noticed on your website that you're holding a seminar on several topics that I'm sure would be of interest to my listeners and I'd like to talk to you about them. You call them hot topics, and I can see why you chose that name. First is veganism. Melanie, shouldn't the whole world be turning vegan right about now, right? <laughs> well, the whole world is almost trying to change to become <laughs> vegan right now, if you look at the trends. Yeah, I mean, veganism for, for certain can be a very, very healthy way of eating. Mm-hmm. It's a hot topic for us because it can also become obsessive, mm-hmm. and inadvertently people can be extremely unhealthy if they are not thoughtful and uh, planful in, in how they eat as a vegan. Okay, now make the difference there for us. You say, it almost sounds like you're saying there are vegans and then there are vegans. What are we talking about? There are vegans. So vegans, uh, as you know, no animal products whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And I think what we're talking about here here is the motivation behind the veganism. So for some different people, it's uh, it's about animal rights, and they become vegan to support that uh, that ethical view. But we're also seeing a lot of people who it's the trend, so we're going to become vegan without really understanding all there is to know about it. And then in our industry, we have a, a number of people who get very obsessive about what they're eating and can use veganism as a way of reducing food choices, and then things can get uh, very, very unhealthy. But isn't this better than, you know, like the drinking man's diet, where I'm going to drink scotch all my life, and that's going to, what's going to make me healthy? Isn't this better than that? Absolutely. Oh, yeah, it, is, it absolutely is. It's like anything, though. Take it to an extreme, and it can be unhealthy. But uh, when it's well done... I think veganism can be a, a terrific way of, um, of eating for your health. When a person decides that they want to, for whatever reason, they decide that they want to change their diet, and you say they might be doing that for some of the wrong reasons, what are some wrong reasons? We know we, we, you just said the right reasons. We want to protect the animals. We want to be good for the environment. We want to be good for our health. What are some wrong reasons to go vegan? Some of the wrong reasons, um, and this might be a bit controversial, I'm sure it is, and hence it's a hot topic, is we know that particularly among women, if you look at the research around this, women who are concerned about their weight, they are more inclined to become vegetarian and or vegan as a way to help with weight loss. And you may say, well, in our current population, that's probably a good thing. But what we're noticing is that there is a greater propensity for that type of person 
to then get very obsessive, to actually be under eating and develop malnutrition and possibly even go into an eating disorder. Boy, you make an important point there, Melanie, because when you go vegan, when you go whole food plant-based, when you go vegetarian, by default, you have to eat more. You have to actually put more volume in your body because there are not as many calories per spoonful in this type of food. Am I right? Absolutely correct. Okay. All right. Now, let's just say that someone wants to go vegetarian. They want to go vegan and they start out And we know that's a good thing. We want that to happen. What are some of the things that can discourage people and make them stop doing this or make them continue doing it for the wrong reasons? Tell us about that. Mm. Well, I think people can get discouraged um, because, to be honest with you, unless you live in New York City, it's quite hard to source true, not source vegan food. If you're you're making food, food at home and preparing food at home, it's a lot easier to be vegan. But if you're trying to maintain your social life and go out to restaurants and such, it can be a little trickier to be vegan. In New York City, we're fortunate to have um, quite a number of new vegan restaurants. So you're going to get some amazing, amazing um, menu options other than just a salad that you might get at a place that's not savvy around how to cater to vegetarians or vegans. So accessibility is one big factor that could deter some people and say, oh, it's just not worth it, or get bored with your options. And then as far as for people who might who might choose to go vegan for the wrong reasons, there is usually this underlying desire to use, use the veganism almost as smoke and mirrors um, because it's socially acceptable to say, I'm vegan and therefore I'm not going to eat that food or I'm vegan and therefore, of course, I'm not going to eat the chicken or the burger or whatever it might be. And so it can be easily, as I said, almost like a red herring whereby it excuses you from participating in eating foods that you might actually fear or be nervous about from uh, that they're too highly caloric and you're worried about weight gain, etc. Okay, so what I hear you saying on this hot topic is it's not the animals, it's not the weight loss, it's not the health. There's an underlying emotional attachment to food that is making people make these kinds of choices. Am I on the right track? Correct. Okay. Absolutely. Right. So we have to, I guess we have to be careful how we, what it is that's driving us to do what we do. And let me ask you that question then. What really should be our driving? We can say the excuse, I want to save the animals, I want to save the planet, I want to lose weight. What really should be our emotional drive to do whatever we do? Yeah, absolutely. The motivation, I mean, in my mind, and only the individual can decide what feels right for them, but ultimately, you know, we have a body. It's a physiological body. It needs to be nurtured and provided uh, with certain nutrients, and so we have a responsibility, and our motivation should be around keeping our bodies as healthy as possible. So from that motivation, I I think that's a terrific way to, to come at it, but I certainly don't want to discredit people who are also making decisions around, you know, animals and, and, and that sort of thing. I think there's some bigger political pieces there yes. that also come into this. All right, very good. Our main motivation should be health. And if there's other things join in, that's good. That's icing on the cake. But health, I guess I hear you saying, is really number one. That should be our whole idea. Am I right? Yes, absolutely. Okay. All right. Melanie Rogers is our guest today. The second hot topic that you have in your seminar 
is something you call the language landmines of eating disorder terminology today. Now, you deal with people with eating disorders all the time. What kind of language landmines are we laying for ourselves out there? I think the big one is healthy. So I'm eating this because it's healthy or I'm vegan because it's healthy. And we use the word healthy in a way to, again, camouflage an underlying motivation for an eating disorder in in our world or disordered eating where people are trying to manipulate their calories and lose weight even when it may not actually be the healthiest for them to do so. We, we as human beings have this marvelous, marvelous ability to take something that really should be good and really should be wonderful for us and turning it into something or using it into something else. How do we know when we're doing that? Now, we're, we're going to move a little bit away from eating and whatnot. How do we know we're doing that in any decision that we make? What are some of the road signs we should be saying that say, hey, I'm making these decisions for the wrong reasons? That's a great question. It comes down to an awareness and it comes down to a truthful conversation. Mm. So, you know, for a lot of people, they may have full awareness that they're making a decision that their true motivation is elsewhere. But for, you know, some some people, they actually don't have enough self-awareness to realize what their true motivation is. So self-awareness has to be there. And then also, as I said, transparent, honest communication about what the real motivation is and where it's coming from. We talked a little bit about this on our previous show about a year ago when I had you on here, and, and I asked you this question. I want to ask you again for this audience today. What is the world doing to help us or hinder us in this quest to be self-aware? Is Madison Avenue the ones that are, are, are helping us do this? Is the government stepping in to help us do this, or are we fighting against something much larger than ourselves? Wow. I think, you know, self-awareness and learning about what motivates us and, and these sorts of things, I think it is more of a personal journey. I think, though, right now, if I may say, with social media and, and just the absolute flooding of imagery and and awareness or supposed awareness that's out there, I think that that actually could be a good tool around people just kind of having more awareness, mm-hmm. self-awareness in general. So, you know, it's it's a, a fairly complex question. You know, I like what you just said there with social media and whatnot. It is a two-edged sword. Yes. Number one, we can look at it and we can say, well, oh my, I, I am not as good as that. I'm not as skinny as that. I'm not as handsome as that. But on the other hand, we can say, whoa, I'm glad I'm not as sick as that. I'm glad I don't look like that. It's a two-edged sword. So I guess what you're saying is when we approach social media, we should have in our mind a standard that is not only healthy, but is healthy for animals, healthy for the planet, healthy for our emotional being. We need to come at social media not using social media as our source, but as our fulfillment. Would I be right in saying that? Yeah, actually, that's a great way to put it, Charles. Yeah. Okay, very good. We're talking with Melanie Rogers. She is a eating disorder registered dietitian with a group in New York City called Balance. It's a treatment center for people with food issues. We'll take a short break. And when we come back, let's talk about a really big battle. You call it a battle that's going on out there in the world that a lot of people may be victim of, including ourselves. We'll have to see what we're talking about on our return. So everybody stay right where you are. I hurt my knee a few years ago and have considerable inflammation. Any suggestions? 
I'm Dr. James Markham here with your biblical prescription for life. Let's look at Mark 15, 24. Therefore, I say unto you, what the things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall receive them. So prayer is a crucial ingredient for any aspect of our health. Other things that might help from the Bible, rest, water, nutrition, physical therapy, inflammation can respond to things like ginger, almonds, and walnuts. If this helps, great. If not, a short term of medication might be needed. Well, the biblical prescription I want to start with for all health issues is a biblical prescription of prayer and believing in the healing power of God. If you have more questions, go to our website. That's heartwiseministries.org. Before we get back to our guest, I want to extend to you an open invitation to visit the HeartWise Ministries website. Why? Because I believe that's where you'll find many of the answers you seek as you strive to improve your physical, mental, and spiritual health. Begin with Dr. James Markham's blog, Insights into the Very Latest Developments Within the Ever-Changing World of Health and Well-Being. Then submit a question to the Ask the Doctor section. Your query will be answered by physicians who practice medicine every day. Need a little more information? Watch the Heart of Health Live television episodes or listen to these radio programs. Check out the HeartWise Healthy Eats link where you'll find restaurants that offer healthy choices. And finally, don't forget to leave your prayer requests. The HeartWise staff will join you in placing your needs before God, the ultimate physician. All that and more are waiting for you at heartwiseministries.org. That's heartwiseministries.org. Stop by today. Welcome back to the program. I'm your host, Charles Mills. Our guest today is Melanie Rogers, a certified eating disorder registered dietitian and founder director of Balance, a treatment center for those with food issues. The center is located in New York City. We're talking about what and why we eat, why we eat what we eat, and we want to be skinny, we want to be healthy, we want to be uh, trim, we want to be like our good-looking friends on Facebook. And so some people are taking the rather drastic way of dealing with this and having surgery done. Tell us about this surgery and why it's good and why it may not be so good for us. Bariatric surgery or weight loss surgery, it's commonly referred to Charles. You know, there's mixed reviews on it, but ultimately the surgery was designed and now is used to treat people who are of a higher weight who then develop, not as a a direct uh, result, but are developing uh, illnesses. And the surgery helps them to lose a significant amount of weight that in many cases we're seeing very, very much helps their health profile. So it reduces blood pressure. You know, diabetes in some cases almost disappears. There is some uh, pretty compelling stuff around support for the surgery. So those are some of the, the, the good things, I guess you could say. The not-so-great is that uh, we see a lot of people go through the surgery who then fail, in inverted commas, because they go back to some of their eating patterns. And actually what we're seeing is if there's an underlying eating disorder, which for many folks there could be, then that seems to uh, re-emerge itself after the first year or so, and the weight loss is slowed down and it's not as successful, if you will, as what it would be for someone without an eating disorder. So my concern is that people are going through this rather desperate treatment 
and they may not be getting the underlying illness treated as well, which could be the eating disorder. Well, Melanie, when someone looks in the mirror and they see a lot of themselves that they wish they didn't see, and here's this surgery that doesn't require that you change your lifestyle, doesn't require that you change how you eat. This surgery, you go in there for a few weeks, you feel sore, then you come out and you lose weight, everything's happy. Why would not that be the motivation we should all enjoy and just go for it? And have the surgery. And have the surgery, yes. It's a great question, actually, but interestingly, only about 1% of the population that meets criteria for bariatric surgery actually pursues it. And one of the reasons cited is in the general population, they think that the, the feeling is that dieting alone and exercise is more successful than bariatric surgery. Mm-hmm. So I found that quite interesting when I saw that study with that information. So the answer, therefore, is I think it's so drastic that people are either frightened of it or they truly believe that dieting will get them will get them there. But to your point, it's almost like a magic bullet, right? Yes, yes exactly, exactly. And it's a whole lot faster than dieting. Are you saying that dieting will not take them to where they want to go? What did you mean by dieting? Dieting, I meant uh, reducing your calories in a way to achieve weight loss. Okay. And that does not work, you're telling me? No. Okay. No, 95% of people who go on a diet will regain that weight and extra weight on top of that. And then metabolically, it makes significant changes in the body to the point that you then set yourself up for continued Mm. weight gain. So dieting is one of the worst things you can do. Even if you are at a higher weight, it can be very damaging. And I think we've seen this, a classic example is with The Biggest Loser, uh, that terrible show that used to be on TV. And we saw that competitors who lost over 100 pounds or more through that show, when they checked their metabolic rate five and six years later, their metabolic rates had still not recovered and were still at a very low rate, which meant that if they went back to eating what they had been eating before uh, and maintaining their weight, with their low metabolic rate, they would actually be increasing their weight at that level. Okay. All right. So these diets that we hear about, this diet, that diet, this book, that person writes a book about uh, losing weight and whatnot, this may not be in our best interest, I hear you saying, right? Correct. Okay. All right. Is there a way that we can, in the kitchen, in our food choices, in our lifestyle, as opposed to dieting, in our lifestyle, is there a way that can help us with weight? Yes, and that would be, again, careful around your, your food choices, you know, using this word healthy. Yes. But we know that, we know that our bodies need, um, you know, fruits and vegetables and all these good things. You know, it's not terribly sexy, but that, that's the kind of food and nourishment that your body needs. And if we're mostly going with that type of food, uh, and not so much on the processed food, then there's a good chance that you'll have, you'll maintain your weight. But there's another piece to it. And so it's not just the food choices, it's your relationship with food. And what we find is that a lot of people are eating when they're not hungry, they're eating because they're bored, they're eating because they're lonely, and they're also overeating. So they're not stopping when they're full. And that is going to be a recipe for disaster for people to not be able to manage their weight. And in fact, it'll create a risk of, of increasing weight gain over time. Two people come into your center, the balance there, the treatment center for food issues, uh, people with food issues there in New York City, and they sit down across from you and both of them are overweight. 
When do you know and how do you know that the guy on the left is suffering from an underlying problem and the guy on the right isn't that simply is making bad food choices? How do you know? What sets the flags up for you? I ask them what is their relationship to food? What are their favorite foods? When do they eat those foods? If they have those foods around at home, are they likely to overeat them? So in other words, when food is not neutral and it has, um, uh, you know, it's kind of calling your name, you'll often hear people talk, talk about the ice cream. If I've got ice cream in my freezer, it's calling my name. And so that would suggest to me that there might be a compulsion going on for that person around certain foods. So the other person who, who just doesn't know, you know, this has got this many calories or this has this much protein and you need to do this, this and this, and they'll say, oh, okay, no problem. So it's really about that relationship with food and the difference between those two individuals that you can, you can see quite, quite clearly and, and quite quickly. So even our listeners that are, who, are, who are sitting listening to this program right now, they would fall into one of those two camps, I'm assuming, the ones that are saying, oh, I need to try that. I need to, I need to make some changes. I need to make better food choices. These are the people that probably will not come to visit you at The Balance. But those who are saying, hey, food is so important to me. If I don't have food, I just can't make it. Those are the people that you, that you can help at The Balance. Am I on the right track That's here? correct. Okay. Absolutely. All right. And when they come and see you and when they come to The Balance there in New York City, are they finding scorn? Are they finding judgment? Are they finding you just wagging your finger at them and saying, shame on you? What do they find there? They find a lot of compassion and uh, hopefully a lot of education around, you know, how the brain is working because ultimately our brain is driving our behaviors. And we have a lot more research now to understand the illness that is underlying behaviors. So if someone is compulsively overeating, we know that there's, you know, a, a whole chemical process going on that is leading to that behavior. It's not about willpower. It's not that they're messing up. And so understanding that there's something else going on driving that behavior, I think, reduces people's shame, gives them more of an understanding of what it is, and therefore better able to then tackle it with concrete skills and understanding than just, you know, the old belief of, well, it's just willpower. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, it sounds like, Melanie, that when someone comes to see you, they find open arms and they find acceptance and they find love as well as education there at The Balance. Would I be right in saying that? That would be absolutely correct. All right, very good. Where can people learn a little bit more about The Balance and about you? We can, you can learn about us on our website, which is balancedtx.com. And there's a lot of information there about our programming and also a little bit about myself and my staff and a little bit about some of these illnesses that we've spoken about today. All right, balancetx.com. And you can get information there, listener. I recommend that you do so. Melanie Rogers, and she is the director and the founder of Balance, a treatment center for those with food issues in New York City. I asked you this before, and I'll ask you one more time. If you are in New York City, where are you located? We are located on West 27th Street and 6th Avenue. And that's the one with the siren going by right now, as yes, a matter of fact. Just, sorry about that. Just, fo- just follow the siren. You'll find them. <laughs> they're, they're right there. Okay, just follow that ambulance. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, Melanie Rogers, thank you so much for being with us today. Appreciate your words of wisdom and guidance. Thank you. Thank you, Charles. And listener, until next time, this is Charles Mills along with Melanie Rogers inviting you to remain heartwise. Goodbye, everyone.
Thank you for joining us today on HeartWise. If you'd like more information on how to build and maintain optimum physical, mental, and spiritual health, log on to heartwiseministries.org. HeartWise is a listener-supported program, and your partnership with us would be greatly appreciated. Once again, our web address is heartwiseministries.org. Ministries.org.